Hello all, and welcome back to another episode of the Strategic Whimsy Experiment. My name is Jen. And I'm Sarah. And today we are reviewing Damien Chazelle's 2010 film, Guy and Madeline on a Park Bench. This was his first feature film. It was originally his thesis project that got made into a full-length film. So, Sarah, do you want to kick us off with an IMDb summary? Sure. After connecting with the shy Madeline, a jazz trumpeter embarks on a quest for a more gregarious paramour, but through a series of twists and turns punctuated by an original score, the two lovers seem destined to be together. Oh, I have so many feelings about this TV <laughs> summary. I do too. Um, I just disagree. <laughs> just no. We're not destined to be together. <laughs> Interesting yeah, I felt kind of the same way. <laughs> That's not the ending. I think we watched different movies from this writer. Yes, we did. Yes. But unfortunately, that is the only IMDb summary. <laughs> I mean, I don't believe that the, the mass public has seen this movie, so that probably makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it's very true. All right. So what was your summary for Guy and Madeline on a Park Bench? Mine is a claustrophobic film with non-existent narrative structure and lifeless characters. Yes. Okay, this is going to be a really great episode because <laughs> my summary is a little kinder, but it's a, <laughs> hardly a fully bloomed flower, but definitely a small bud. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what were your thoughts of this film, Sarah? <laughs> um... I really hated it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I the the only part that I loved about it was the score. Yes, um, Justin Hurwitz is absolutely phenomenal, and he was the only redeeming quality about this movie, in my opinion. Um, I could not wait for it to be over. I think that when the the credits started to roll. I think I audibly said, thank God. Um, like I, <laughs> I hated every second of this film. I couldn't wait for it to be over. Um, it was so awkward and claustrophobic. The way that it was filmed made me feel like dizzy and just wanted to yes. escape. Like I, I, I was cringing the entire time. And I was really, really ready for the experience to be over. And I I didn't connect to any of the characters. There didn't really seem to be a plot structure at all. Um, yeah, I, I'm thankful that uh, Damien Chazelle made this, but I'm really glad that he improved yes. vastly from this movie. <laughs> and that's what I'm fascinated by, because... His other films are so fantastic and there's so much nuance and and some really great, strong characters um, from, I think we've reviewed, have we reviewed La La Land on this, episode, on this podcast? I believe we have. Yes, yeah. we did. And then we also reviewed Whiplash. And yeah. both are, there's so much nuance to those films. Both are so fantastic, um, have gotten a lot of critical acclaim. And so it's really interesting to watch his early work. <laughs> I kept having to yeah. remind myself, like, this was probably one of his first big projects at all as a filmmaker. So very much, I think he's exploring and, and kind of in that um, awkward, 
preteen years of his filmmaking ability and his intuition. But you see some of the same themes, which I found really fascinating, particularly with La La Land. Um, a lot of interesting similarities. But I honestly had a very similar experience as you. I had so much hope for this film. Um, mm-hmm. I knew that it was this gritty black and white, I think 16 millimeter film about these two lovers. The title is whimsical. I knew it was going to have this amazing jazz score. Like it, it checked off so many boxes for a great recipe, for a wonderful, wonderful creation. And um, I was, I was disappointed. It was, I, I had a similar experience with the cinematography specifically, felt very claustrophobic. Um, the camera whipping around constantly and never being steady, which maybe was part of the intention, but um, was really challenging to focus on. The characters I found really weak and I didn't see what they were doing. It felt like we were kind of wandering through this world, singing occasionally. Overall, I think the pieces don't really fit together well and it doesn't work. But um, I think it's it was a particular interesting experience watching this knowing how great some of his films that came later on were so it's a, it was an interesting experience I think most of the time when we watch films um it's either really fantastic early work and we can see those themes as well or um we're watching a an, an artist and a master really really in full form in his craft um so this is this is quite interesting I had to keep, keep reminding myself this was his first Early work, a student film. Okay, we'll cut him some slack. <laughs> yeah, I I did find myself wondering, like, if they actually had like true actors in this film, would it have been better? Because mm-hmm. I I think part of my problem with it is that they they were awkward on camera. Every movement felt forced nothing was natural it so it was it was awkward to watch them and awkward not in like an intentional or a good way but awkward just because they were awkward in their presence so if he had been able to Mm -hmm. um actually hire some actors and and they were able to give good deliveries on screen might this have been better like i i really did wonder had had he had money back Mm -hmm. then would this have been a better film? I still don't think it would have been great, but it might have been more bearable than this actually was. I think so. Yeah, I had a similar thought. Like, wow, you you throw some money and some production budget and <laughs> the, the resources at this talented director, and he's been able to create so much mm-hmm. wonderful things that it could have been just a, a simple limitation in what he was able to work with. Um, there's a lot of, I think nuance in in the actors and their portrayals that if you had had more experienced actors portraying those those subtle emotions um could this could have worked I mean a lot of the pieces of the story were generally there maybe the pacing was a little bit off the cinematography could have been better um but overall the concept of seeing these two former lovers figure out their lives individually and finally come together in this like tense moment at the end, it's could have worked. I mean, the, the, the skeleton, the bare bones were kind of there a little bit. Um, <laughs> we just needed some better read on the bones. 
Yeah, I think I think it, it if we if there had been better actors on screen, we would have been maybe more forgiving of like the aimlessness of the film because it, it like you said it really did feel like we were just kind of like being like tossed about by the wind and not actually following anything. Like it didn't occur to me on those all those shots with with Madeline that she was actually trying to improve her life. Like it just felt like, oh, we're just going about her every day. So I think if if there had been a better actress in that role, we could have seen like, okay, she has taken this breakup and she's actually trying to better herself instead of wallowing in self-pity. And then it maybe would have made us empathize with her more as she goes on this journey of self-discovery instead of just kind of like, oh, she's talking to somebody. Oh, now she's getting her hair done. Oh, now she's at work. Like, it mm-hmm. it felt so random and insignificant that I really didn't care what was going on or it and it didn't register to me what this film was trying to communicate. Yeah, and I, I felt like there was this lifelessness in both mm-hmm. the main characters, both Guy yeah. and Madeline, that felt so frustrating for me. Um they weren't dynamic and and they lacked that fire. I'm like, I don't understand what you look depressed because there's just this like empty look in their eyes. They're not really interested or going after or doing anything. I mean, I guess Guy was still doing his gigs with his music, but even that didn't really come across very strongly. Um, so I just felt frustrated with the two characters to be completely honest. Yeah, this was, <laughs> I jotted down that this was the most lifeless musical I've ever seen. <laughs> Because, I mean, when you're, when you watch a, a traditional musical, like even, you know, more realistic musicals, there's still this, this passion and this, this action, even if they're going through difficult things, there's this like serious commitment to whatever they're doing. And this was just kind of like a, a lethargic moseying through life. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And I think that might have been able to work with better actors and actresses because there's a little bit of that subtlety that's it and that nuance of after a breakup you do you you kind of are wandering for a little while and you don't know what you want to do, but you slowly kind of pick yourself up and go get that haircut and maybe talk to a new guy, you know what I mean? Like there's there is that process and that could have been portrayed in a way that really resonated or felt like, oh my gosh, this character is like really making strides for themselves. Like good for them. I'm, like, I'm rooting for them, you know? Um, but we don't really get that and we don't really see that. I think that it would have been, it would have been easier for him to write this like high action, really dramatic piece as a, especially as a student writer um, initially crafting this story and it's really interesting that he chose this kind of really subtle nuanced um type of story to tell and I think it could have worked it could have worked with some some better actors and actresses to portray all of those tiny nuances but we we don't we just don't get that and so it just feels slow yeah I I think I really struggled with uh, Guy's character. I mean, I struggled with everybody, but especially his, because um, I I wasn't sure how we were supposed to feel about him. You know, like he, we first see him with 
with Madeline and then all of a sudden he's with this other chick and then we see him break up with Madeline and then we see him with the other chick again and he's so focused on his music that he doesn't seem to treat anybody well Mm -hmm. but he doesn't seem to actually enjoy his music all that much and so it's just like this awkward like are we supposed to be rooting for you? Are we supposed to, like, how are we supposed to feel about you as a character? Because he just didn't do a whole lot other than break up with women and play the trumpet. <laughs> like, like I don't, I don't understand what, what you're doing, buddy. Yeah, I don't know. I, part of me feels like this movie should have been Madeline's story and her, yeah, picking herself back up and 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 especially in that ending scene where they come together and he says, "Can I play this for?" Her? And she's like, "I really just don't want to hear you play." Like, no. Yeah. Um. And he, to me, I saw him as a villain the entire time, um, because I saw him being with that girl Elena as cheating, and so I'm like, "There's not. There's also nothing that the film gave me to." redeem him or have that complex like oh I know you did a bad thing but I'm still rooting for you in the same way um I thought about marriage story a little bit with this film um where you get that like little montage at the beginning and you see these two lovers that were together and then they're kind of grappling with the pieces afterwards but there's nothing about Guy's character that felt redeemable um Madeline maybe a little bit more you see her trying to do better for herself, but for the other guy, I was like, nope. You've got yeah, some negative I, points in my book, and there's <laughs> no positive points on the other side of this graph. So <laughs> this 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 uh, graph is below the x-axis. No bueno. <laughs> yeah, I felt the same way. I I I saw him as a villain too, and. I was so annoyed that he ignored Madeline's instructions uh, when she said, no, I don't want to hear your song. And he played anyway that I couldn't even listen to his song because I was so mad. (laughs) It's like, you are just being the same jerk that you were in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And are we supposed to take this as like a symbol of love or asking for forgiveness or what? Because your his character did not change throughout the course of the film and so it it just ended up feeling intrusive and unwanted yeah exactly I completely agree I was like I think this was supposed to be romantic but it's not how I'm reading it I would love to I think this maybe this is how you and I are just wired so I would love to have more people watch this and like pull the masses to see if that was interpreted in a similar way or um how wide the spectrum is of how that act was interpreted to me it was like you done wrong um you're not making up for it and in this moment it's still about you it's still you playing this thing for your music for this girl that you have like completely betrayed and wronged in the past like this is you're not building any bridges yeah and I think you know reading through that IMDB summary I was very shocked. Um, but the, the relationship between Guy and Madeline to me at the beginning felt like they were just like starting to date and there wasn't a whole lot of relationship there. So 
because they had no chemistry in the beginning, I struggled with the idea that Guy is is searching for Madeline and he thinks that being with her is, you know, she's the one that he needs to be with and all of this stuff when they didn't really have a lot of rapport in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think there was maybe supposed to be this maybe storyline of music being the thing that really connected them and connected their souls or whatever. Um, but we don't get enough screen time with them together to see that connection. Again, I think about marriage story cause it's a similar plot structure, um, where you start by seeing this, this love story unfold for the first two minutes or so. And then kind of them both characters figuring out how to move on and pick up the pieces. But in Marriage Story, we get to see the two interact and to see those tender moments and that there is still this really great love that's still there even though they have to be apart and they're trying to figure it out. But for the, I think, an hour and 15 minutes of this movie in the center, we don't see them together. We, I think we exclusively see them separate. So it's not like we get to build that over the course of the film either. So I honestly wasn't rooting for them to end up together at all. Definitely not destined. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Nope. <laughs> Definitely not. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, the most interesting character in this entire movie was Elena. The girl hmm. needs some help. Yes. Uh, I question her judgment significantly. But yes. she had spark. Like, there was fire. There was life. There was... Uh, complexity and her desires and um, the fact that she felt satisfaction from getting attention from guys whether it's on the street as she's trying on the hats or the fact that she's so forward like there was conviction maybe in the wrong direction but there was conviction and you you get a sense of who she is so to me she was the most interesting character out of the three of them yeah, I would agree with that, that she was the only character that I I was able to identify her motives and what she wanted, yeah. um, which is really an odd choice because she was not the main character. She, you know, as the third character in the love triangle, we probably should have known the least about her. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, her her desires were the most clearly stated um, and yet I, I didn't, I didn't care for her, but no. she was the most fully fleshed out character yeah. in the film. Yeah, exactly. Um, where to next? Can we talk about the cinematography? Sure. <laughs> interesting, interesting choices. I, I can see how sometimes the close up really works. There's like an intimacy that is inherent when we get and we're like right up in people's faces. Um, interesting that we start off the film being so close up to these characters and for such long periods of time mm-hmm. over the course of entire conversations and things like that. Um, I felt like those close ups would have meant more potentially if they were used more uh, specifically in certain moments or scenes that were dramatic or tense or if we were kind of building up this intimacy with a character to like lead us to that place where we were spending time with our faces that close. Um, but in general, I think it, it, it was, I think you, you said claustrophobic and that's a perfect, 
perfect word to describe it. Yeah, there were certain moments where, uh, like, I found myself, like, pushing myself into my couch because <laughs> I I felt like the character was too close. And I just, I wanted the camera to zoom out. And I had no control. So I just kept, like, backing away from my TV um, because it was it was too much. And there were certain parts of it, like, especially there's one scene where guy is performing and it's a whole group of people. And like the, the two people are tap dancing. Um, Mm -hmm. and there were certain moments in that where it was like the camera was moving, but then it would go into a close up, and then it would start to move again. And I started to feel so dizzy during Mm -hmm. that. I was like, Damien Chazelle, I need you to calm down. Mm -hmm. I can't handle this right now. And it just, it, it was such a weird way of, of moving the camera and, and focusing the camera that I haven't seen. And it, it wasn't done in a particularly good way. Like there, there are some things that you see for the first time and you're like, Oh my gosh, that was brilliant. But you're kind of uncomfortable because it's new. This just made me feel queasy and tense and, wanting to get out of the movie as quickly as possible, which I'm sure was not the intention. He probably intended it to be, you know, intimate and close and getting to know these characters and, and seeing the, the facial expressions really, really clearly and all of these wonderful things. But um, the execution didn't quite live up to that dream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. I got a little dizzy as well. I had to look away a few times. Um, but it's interesting to see that the he uses a similar technique in Lava Land, um, specifically in that party scene early in the film, and then again in the jazz club scenes where I think Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling going out on a night on the town and they're visiting these different jazz clubs. And he uses that similar like camera whipping back and forth Um, And it works there because it's for a small scene for a specific moment and you feel the excitement and the rush of like being at that party and um, the chaos. And so it works there, but it's like that technique was used sparingly and intentionally for a moment, Um, which goes back to why I feel like this was his his exploratory phase of just like feeling out um, his style and those those techniques and what works and what doesn't work. Um, I have this mental image of like when especially boys grow up and they grow older and they're kind of awkward in their own skin and they're feeling out their, their space, um, especially as they get tall and lanky. It's, it's kind of the image that I have with this film. It's like, okay, yeah, we're in the pre-pubescent boy awkward years. Um, nothing's really working well. But he's, he's working on it. <laughs> he, he's trying, you know, yep. putting in a, his best effort. To, <laughs> yeah, it, it really did feel like it, it felt like a college film. And that's mm-hmm. what it was. And yep. so that's what I just I had to keep reminding myself of. But it it really didn't help uh, how I felt about the film. Nope. No, it didn't work. No, it didn't. It works later. It doesn't work yet. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, really the uh, I I knew that we were in trouble when uh, 
there there was a scene where guy was was playing jazz with his his friends and it was great and it's like this recording session and okay i'm like okay this is good we got through that initial awkwardness that we saw earlier you seem a little bit more in your element maybe there's hope for this film and then it did a quick cut to uh elena watching a juggler and i went oh no <laughs> this is this is gonna be bad <laughs> yep yep yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think the close-ups generally weren't successful. <laughs> but there are some moments where it worked and it's like, okay, yeah, he found his groove there for that one moment. The one that I that comes to mind is the scene where Guy and Elena are like encountering each other for the first time on the subway and you see the close-ups of her eyes looking up at him, him looking at her, their their fingers like on the subway pole, like slowly starting to intertwine. It's like there's there's built up tension and um, feeling of okay, something's about to happen. And I think the close ups really work in that scene, but I think it's again used used a little too heavily throughout the rest. Yeah, I agree, and I think I think that that scene in particular could have been really, really like, I think that the the camera work in that was really, really good. Again, it was just like the actors were so awkward. Like yeah. I kept, <laughs> I kept putting myself in that situation going, okay, buddy, you are way too close to me. I need you to back up because this is not okay. This is my personal bubble. And so I, I think if the, uh, if the acting had been better, then we could have had a different read on that as opposed to an invasion of personal space. <laughs> yes. <laughs> also, I was like, if this ever happened on a subway to me, that is terrifying. Yes. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, I would have gotten off real quick. Nope. Mm -mm, nope. Get away. <laughs> and then Homegirl puts her hand on his his uh pants pocket what I was, was like, that forward but that's what i'm saying elena had the most like agency and yeah she did she went for it at least she did something she, she sure did she didn't know how to boil water but she knew how to pick up a man so yep. Yep. you know you win Simul some you lose some simultaneously so frustrating but at least i knew what to react to yeah, Madeline. Exactly. I mean, Elena, Elena, and Madeline felt like foils throughout the entire movie, which I think was probably intentional. Mm -hmm. But I, I really struggle with Madeline. Um, I just, I didn't. I felt so like the world felt so empty and meaningless to her. I just, I didn't want to live in her perspective and her view and her world. You know what I mean? I just. So yeah, and then there, there were these, like, random, you know, so she's this, like, sloth person for <laughs> most of the film. Just kind of, like, she's just kind of, like, moseying along. There's not a lot going on. Nowhere to be. In no real hurry. It's cool. But then, like, all of a sudden, she would be like, oh, there's a song. And then she would have some energy, um, and it just, it felt so out of place. Like the scene at the end when she's like cleaning up. Oh yeah. And 
Why she put a scarf on to clean the windows, I didn't understand. But then she launches into a tap dancing musical number, and it it felt so out of character for her because mm-hmm. you had never seen that level of energy from her throughout the rest of the film, and it was just it was it was too much of a of a <laughs> you know leap for me to try and take to believe that that came out of her. Yeah. I agree. I was like, this needs, I, at that point I was like, okay, my little dial on the bottom says that we are now only 20 minutes away from the end. (laughs) So we're almost there. (laughs) Yeah. And what was so interesting about like that scene, like I couldn't watch her because she was so awkward while like dancing. You could (laughs) tell that she wasn't like fully committed to any of the moves. Um, And so like I was watching the extras and they did pretty well. And like I was entertained by them until the end when it was just complete and total like overacting that we hadn't seen from any other character in the film. So it was just this odd juxtaposition of, you know, lifeless Madeline with these overacting extras. Um, And that was just a strange combination to experience together. Yeah, that was really interesting. I was like, I don't, this feels out of place maybe the open like a fun entertaining opener like that could have been yeah more interesting um yeah for sure then there was a scene where she goes to get a haircut and makes the guy wait outside for her but then says that she's no longer free and i'm like i don't get it i don't get it takes the cookie though I had so many questions. I, I was know. like, who is this man? Also, who, what man is just going to wait around outside while you get your hair done for an hour? Like, you and better you run. Just, yeah. Like, man, what yep. is going on? Yep. There was the other dude yeah. who, like, sang while he cooked for her. Yeah. Other, and I, he was older. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't get it. There's there was like zero context for either of those two scenes. So I was lost. Yeah, it was I, I was too. Yeah. I I had no idea what to do with those. It was a whole hot mess. Yeah. But he goes yeah, and sure makes was. such amazing things afterwards. Whiplash, La La Land, <laughs> First Man, like amazing. Like he knows what he's doing. He he learned from his mistakes. <laughs> he rewatched us and was like, "Okay, close ups, yes. There, mm, the rest of it, nope, nope, never again." <laughs> oh yeah, camera whipping back and forth. Yes, we'll use that for one scene. Okay, Damien, yes. one scene. Don't go over only it. one. <laughs> I also do wonder, like, you know, because because on a, a movie production, it's very very large, and there are a lot of people involved. Yeah. So, like, how many editors helped him along the way? And, you know, like really helped hone his vision and go, okay, this is what you're trying to do. You thought that this would work, but actually if we move this thing here, or if we use this camera angle here, it'll Mm. actually be more effective. And he was able to really learn maybe from the wisdom of others on a bigger production than his little college film. Yeah. That's an interesting way to view it. Um, it's, it's, it might be the case. There's just more inherently more feedback, more input, more people to catch things that work or don't work. Yeah. Interesting. Makes me want to take all of the great directors that we have today and <laughs> give them like 
48 hours to make something and edit it on their own and see what happens, <laughs> right? Wouldn't yeah. that be wonderful? Or Man. something magical happened between this movie and Whiplash, and it was just life-changing for him. Yeah, because I, that, that very well could be. <laughs> I read, I was reading his, like, trajectory. In general, his his career growth and his rise to fame has been really fascinating for me to follow and watch. Um, he started with this as a senior, senior thesis, I think submitted it. It was originally a short film, which I jotted down while watching this. Like I think this would have been maybe more effective as a short film. It's got that like moody, whimsical air to it. The visuals are cool, but you get 15 minutes of it and maybe that's it. And I think it could have been a lot more effective. Um, but yeah, this was originally his short film thesis, then got turned into a feature-length film after premiering at some film festival. Um, after he created this, he wanted to do La La Land, but wasn't really ready for it yet and didn't have the budget for it. So he um, started working on the script and the story for Whiplash, created it as a, I think, 16-minute short film, premiered got a lot of great attention and was picked up and raised enough financing and, and funding for it to be made into a full feature length. Then he made Whiplash, which is honestly a fantastic film, mm -hmm. um, which then with the acclaim of Whiplash and, and kind of the, the rise to fame there ushered in the ability for him to raise enough money to actually make La La Land, which was kind of like his baby. And so, I mean, it, he, he really got kind of a short, short career stunt um but has been kind of just shot to fame with la la land i think he's the youngest director to win the best director award at the oscars at age 32 um he's really hit a lot of milestones for having made only i think three three or four if you want to count this one um feature length movies it's it's cool i mean it's, it's kind of the the american dream film edition you know <laughs> Yeah, that is that is really fascinating. And I I do wonder if he learned from Guy and Madeline on a park bench what not to do so that he was able to make Whiplash successful. Because mm -hmm. I, I think you're right, Guy and Madeline on Park Bench really does work as a short film and and I my guess as to what happened is it, it made sense as a 15 minute short film yeah. and then he made it longer, but he didn't invest in any of his characters more. Mm -hmm. And so he, he added more scenes and more things that happened, but by not investing in the characters, then it really just put a damper on the whole film. Mm -hmm. And so he, he must've learned that to give the characters in whiplash more agency and make them more three dimensional. Mm -hmm. I think also, Whiplash is a much more explosive film. Yeah. And so it's it's easier to give your characters agency and make them exciting just because of the, the material. Mm -hmm. So I think he... Guy and Madeline on, on a park bench, that's a really hard movie to, to make and make yeah. it really well and make it exciting. Um, so maybe he, he learned a lot from this first project and was able to actually apply those lessons in his future films. Yeah, that's probably the case. I, I would love to maybe after 
we record this to just do some research and see if we can find that original um, short film for Guy and Madeline on a park bench. Like what was – I want to know what the 15-minute mm. version of this was that he originally yeah. intended um, because inherently in short films we don't have – we don't have time, nor do we have the expectation as a viewer to be invested in the characters very deeply. And so you see this kind of like whimsical girl who just got broken up with trying to figure out her life, does this, like sings a song or two. You see this other guy who's kind of this moody musician. Like they're archetypes and they work and that's it. And we kind of go along for the journey. We get some camera whipping back and forth and some close-ups. <laughs> and, you know, like it doesn't feel claustrophobic because it's only for 15 minutes. So, yeah, it must have been – been a challenge to figure out how to okay how do I expand this out now um I think that Whiplash was based uh, very heavily on his own experience he was really um studying to be a jazz drummer for a while he knew he was never going to be fantastic and great the way that I think the name is Andrew in Whiplash did um but he also had a teacher that was kind of roughly who um J.K. Simmons character is based on Terrence Fletcher and so there's probably a lot of just like his own experience and material he can pull from to to create that story and make it visceral and I mean having lived through maybe some of those experiences really helped him portray that as well yeah it's and you can you can feel that in both Whiplash and even in La La Land that Mm -hmm. There's a deep connection between Damien Chazelle and the characters on the screen, but you don't feel that in Guy and Madeline on Park Bench. So I do wonder if if that's also part of it. Like he, while he was so invested in this idea and this, you know, um, like this whole like lovers who are separated, but they are deeply involved in music and that's what connects them. Like he's been fascinated with that idea for so many years, Mm -hmm. but um, he just maybe didn't have, he didn't put himself into it as much as he did maybe with Whiplash and La La Land. Mm -hmm. And it shows. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that makes a lot of sense because you definitely feel the, the difference. It's like he didn't care about these characters. Yeah. Which is, (laughs) <laughs> which if you don't care about your characters, then there's no way that the audience is going <laughs> to care. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we've, we mentioned this earlier as well, but I think not having the resources to make his vision come to life may have also been a big roadblock and a big challenge. Um, that nuance and that um, full spectrum of emotion that maybe he intended to convey just like wasn't able to come across maybe as fully as he originally envisioned in his mind. And so he's just kind of left with what he can do with this one. Uh, but who knows? Yeah. We'll, we'll have to do some more research and see no. if, if we can dig up anything else on yes. this. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Agreed. One of the un- other uh, interesting themes that I think, I saw parallels between Guy and Madeline on a park bench with La La Land is that relationship and that constant like toggling back and forth between whimsy and singing and this world of dreams and those in the musical numbers and then being shot back down to reality and um, kind of the the actual world that they're living in, um, particularly in the scene where. Madeline does her whole tap dance number or when she's out on the 
streets of Boston kind of walking around and she starts singing this song about her meeting this boy on a park bench and it all started there. Um, I think that same theme you see in La La Land as well. They constantly are being whipped back and forth between dream world and then back to realism. So I think that relationship maybe saw its early beginnings in this film and you see it come to full fruition in La La Land. Which is such a, a fascinating thing to try and portray. You know, you have, because I feel like in so many movies, it's it's all about, oh, this this incredible dreamer and they just like live in the clouds and it's it's great. And you if if you see them crashing back to earth, then they don't stay there for long. Um, but there's something so, I don't know, something so precious about both Whiplash and La La Land in that, like, yeah, you can dream, but you're going to have to work and you're going to have to sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And, yes. you know, just because you want to create beautiful things, just because you're talented doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to live out your dream the way that you think you're going to. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that that, I mean, that's a really profound thing to include in a film, even though it's a pretty unpopular theme. Um, so I wish that we would have seen more of that in Guy and Madeline on a park bench, but probably like everything else, he hadn't fully developed how to communicate that yet, mm -hmm. uh, the way that we see in his other films. Yeah, you're right. There is this um, common theme in his characters, whether it's Andrew from Whiplash or even Sebastian from La La Land of this, this musician that has a big dream to make it, um, but has to think about how that, how that interacts with his relationships, specifically his um, romantic relationships. Andrew decides to break up with his girlfriend because he wants to focus all of his attention on making it big and succeeding as a drummer you see Sebastian having to wrestle with continuing to pursue and to be with um, Mia or have to let her go and they each have to chase their own dreams but there is this constant tension between um, the dreams that they have and the relationships and how that they at least the characters believe that their attention is divided and um, they aren't able to give as fully in, in their in their actual personal relationships. And I think you see the beginnings, the very, very early beginnings of that with um, Guy's character, specifically in that scene when him and Elena fight and he I think he wakes up early and he starts practicing his trumpet and she gets really annoyed at him. Um, but it's it's kind of that beginning of the the obsessive musician who has to choose or feels like he has to choose at least between his dreams and his commitment to his craft and his personal relationship. Um, definitely a common theme. I wonder if that stems from anywhere uh, from Damien Chazelle's personal life or I don't know. We'll have to ask him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I did while I was watching, I wished that we would have seen more of that struggle in Guy, because it really could have been more than just him dumping Madeline for Elena. It really could have been like, what do I love the most? Mm -hmm. and, and what am I willing to pursue? And, um, 
you know, really seeing like a passion for music from him um, really would have added a, a depth and more interest into this film. Like he, he's a brilliant trumpeter and it was wonderful watching him play, but you didn't see this, this love for music on the screen that I think they were trying to communicate. Uh, so I think if we would have gotten a little bit more of that, it could have made that tension work a little bit better. Yes, that would have also given us something to connect with him on or to root for him or something redeemable because the minute that he cheats, it's just like, okay, yeah. how, like what else are do you have as a character that's going to make me root for you? But if the reason that him and Madeline break up is because of um, maybe he's neglecting her, maybe he's just too committed to his craft or he feels like he has to choose, mm-hmm. that would have been a really fascinating um, storyline. And then that moment at the end of them being together again would have also meant more as well. And maybe him, yeah. his, him playing his trumpet would have like, maybe not the, still not the best decision to like, just ignore her saying, no, I don't want to hear it, but maybe would have yeah. a little bit more, you know, <laughs> yeah. a little more significance to it. Yeah. The other thing that I was wondering while watching is um, what if Guy was his only means of communication uh or his the means of communication that he felt most comfortable with was through music so Mm -hmm. like if if that had been the vehicle through which he expressed himself this could have also been a lot more interesting of a film and like you kind of see that like when he's pissed at elena and she's sleeping and then he like plays the trumpet really loudly in her ear like so you see little glimpses of that but if if that had been his struggle is like, he feels these things so deeply and he wants to be able to communicate to others what he's feeling, but he Mm -hmm. can't. And so he can only do it through this mechanism of the trumpet. Like, Oh, I would have been so fascinated (laughs) by that movie. Yeah. Yeah. And then a lot of, I mean, even if you take the same lines, he says of like, this is a ballad and Mm -hmm. it's implied that like, this is what I want to communicate to you. And, this is me apologizing, maybe not through words, but, you know, through, through my music, the thing that I know most. And then the thing, yeah. that, and the thing that he knows that she also connects deeply with as well. Yeah, now that could be romantic. See? Man, it could have been so interesting. Yes. <laughs> oh, and and like black and white. Oh, yes. It could have worked. It could have worked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, all of the little, like, there were glimpses of it, and there were little, like, breadcrumbs, and you could see, like, okay, this could have been a really good idea, like, so, like you said, like, it was a little bud, mm-hmm. it wasn't fully bloomed nope. yet, um, but you could see a lot of the the potential kind of scattered about this film. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, and thank God we have his flowers to look at to see oh, this is a bud. It's not a pile of (laughs) sand. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. It is really cool to kind of look at those three films together Mm -hmm. um, and see how similar they really all are. Mm -hmm. Um, More than just, you know, Damien Chazelle, but there's a lot of similar themes and, and messages in them. And you can see how he was exploring contents in 
or concepts in Guy and Madeline on a park bench that you see executed really well um, mm-hmm. in the other films. Yeah, it's almost like he he's like experimenting with these techniques and he goes way overboard and Guy and Madeline on a park bench and has learned how to reel it in and use them effectively, but kind of has to like make a mess, make a splash, like overuse all of his paint colors and like it turns out being brown, <laughs> but like the exploration was setting him up well for him to be able to like fully like reel it in and, and channel it in the right way in these later films. Yeah, it was, it was a good experiment. Uh, <laughs> Rough to sit through, but. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like if you, if you just watch this film, you know, as, as a singular film with no other context, mm. it's easy to walk away and go, oh my gosh, that was trash. Like, what was that? Mm-hmm. But when you, when you zoom out and you see it within the scope of his works as a whole, um, it's, it's quite something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Completely agree. Well, his next film is called Babylon, apparently. Um, I think it's set to release in 2021, though who could say that could change. Um, And I believe it's starring Brad Pitt and somebody else that's escaping me. A really famous female actor. But it's set in 1920s Hollywood as the film industry is transitioning from the silent film era to sound. And it's about like the stars that are in that era. Yeah. So... I think that'll be fascinating to see what he does with like a, a period piece from old Hollywood. Yeah. That'll be fun. Hmm. That will be interesting. I'm glad he's doing more things. Yes. Beyond like writing the scripts for horror movies, like 10 Cloverfield Lane and other strange ones where I'm like, what? You know, you got to do what you got to do to pay the bills Mm -hmm. so that you can then make your passion projects. Yep. So it's the equivalent of Guy Ritchie doing Aladdin. And what was he thinking? It's so that he could make the gentleman. So he got to do his thing. Come on, Guy Ritchie. (laughs) We want more movies like Snatch and less of Aladdin. Mm, Yes, please. Um, anything else that we wanted to mention about this film? You know, I think, I think we covered all of my, my notes. Yep. Yep. I think me too. The one last like little thought that I had while watching this film is that, gosh, there is so much that you can do and express through having limited equipment as a filmmaker. Um, I mean, especially with the capabilities of our iPhones now honestly there's Mm -hmm. there's so much expressiveness that he was able to to create um through like a gritty black and white film that I found really impressive and really inspiring so um that's one thing that I hope folks that watch this film take away is that you can tell a whole full story with emotions in there and really interesting shots um and be very creative with limited budget so that was kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this was made in 2009. Yeah. And, you know, so a, a decade later and gosh, technology has changed so much 
in those years and we can do so much more today. So Mm -hmm. I think, I think it's a really great opportunity for other amateur filmmakers who, you know, they're going out there and they, they have an opportunity to practice their craft with technology at a somewhat reasonable price. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they can, we can do a lot these days. Mm -hmm. And it's really incredible. Yep. Yep. The trick is getting the actors that can convey what you want to convey. That's actually the harder piece, honestly. Spend your money on actors and good (laughs) editors. That is what you need. If we learned anything from this film, Mm -hmm. (laughs) good actors and good editing. Yep. I think one last shout out is for the soundtrack, which we both loved. Um, Phenomenal. Really interesting that the guy who wrote the soundtrack and the and composed for this film, Justin Hurwitz, um, I think was one of Damien Chazelle's good friends or roommates mm-hmm. back in school. And then they've worked together for every single one of his films since. And he wrote La La Land score. And I think he was nominated for best original score for that film. So it's, it's kind of cool to see their relationship be so constant over the course of their, their different projects. That was kind of a nice, nice little, side story for this yeah he he was phenomenal in this I absolutely loved his score I would I would listen to his score I would not watch this movie again <laughs> yep yep but yeah it, it really did a good job at setting the mood and and was somehow able to to bridge um both jazz and musicals, which mm-hmm. are two very different genres that are hard to tie together, really. And um, somehow with that score, he was able to make it seem more fluid. And yeah. Without this, without his score, it would have felt like an even more uh, disjointed film than it already felt like. <laughs> yeah. That's the one constant throughout this movie is it's yes. the only thing that really makes a whole lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's absolutely beautiful. We need a pairing of Justin Hurwitz with uh, Woody Allen. I think that would be fun. <laughs> That'd be fascinating. I don't know, man. Woody has been struggling lately. I need him <laughs> to get back on his A game. Yep. Some of his more recent stuff has not been so great. We'll but could you imagine like, like Hurwitz with like Greta Gerwig or Noah Baumbach or you know like we have so many like up-and-coming directors that that could benefit so much from his creativity and what he's able to create Mm. oh that'd be wonderful that would be a good pairing Ooh. (laughs) hopefully things to look forward to matchmaking film 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 edition Ooh, yeah Yep. Could we do that? That'd be great. <laughs> That'd be fun. I also <laughs> want to do this like 48 hours film competition. Just directors. Nothing else. No like creation by mass groups of production committees. <laughs> see what they come up with. Yeah, see what happens. Or like film like all so like you film something. I don't know. It's some random collection of footage and you give the same footage to all of these mm. different directors and ask them to come up with a cohesive story from it. Yes. I don't know how that would work, but it Basically, could be interesting to see what you come up with. We're, we're doing like chopped, 
but <laughs> film edition. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that'd be fascinating. Like here's here some it. like really whimsical film footage. Here's like a horror film score. And mm. you can only use the color red and black and white, like something. <laughs> I don't know. We're on to something. And you could there. still you could still call it chopped. Yep. It would work. Yep. I like it. That an idea. <laughs> Good thoughts are coming out of all of this time alone spent with movies. <laughs> Agreed. All right. Well, this is our review of Guy and Madeline on a Park Bench. It is available on Amazon Prime, but you have to have a Fandor subscription. They have a 30-day free trial. So, um, really interesting exploratory film. Some of Damien Chazelle's very, very early work, and we see a lot of his themes and techniques starting to um, come together through this film, um, starting to rise up. And really interesting if you are a fan of Damien Chazelle and have seen some of his later work. Um, recommend seeing where those relationships and common threads are between one of his, I think it was his first feature film. So we will be back next week with another episode. We hope you guys are doing well and um, are able to find a little bit of whimsy in the current times. So we'll see you back next week. Bye.